Oh, make it plain, make it plain. Everything that's in you. Come on, come on. Just bless his holy name. He's still doing great things. I hear you, T. I hear you. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And, 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 and not a little, not a corner, but all, oh my Lord, all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Flashback. Flashback. I heard the choir stuff you were talking about. I could see it. Standing up there singing, eyes closed, head thrown back. Bless the Lord. When was the last time you had your own bless the Lord moment? The last time you got over in the corner somewhere just thinking about how good God had been to you and you just had a bless the Lord moment. You need to have a bless the Lord moment all the time. Just, just You ought to shout by yourself sometimes. Not because the musician is around, but because you know how good God has been to you. You ought to shout every now and then, thinking about how faithful he's been to you. You ought to shout his name and say, thank you, Lord, for being so good to me. <laughs> Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Y'all done messed me up. Back at First Baptist East Ball. I can see folk out there I ain't seen in a long time. Sitting in that congregation. Bless the Lord. Help us. Maybe this was a bless the Lord week. Yeah. And you realize in spite of the circumstances, he's still doing great things still blessing us and keeping us. Don't let the circumstances of the moment divert your attention from who's in charge. Still the Lord, high and mighty. He still reigns. He's still blessing us with all that we need. And I'm so glad that an election couldn't put him out of office. I'm so glad we don't have to recount nothing for the Lord. Yeah, I'm so glad we don't have to wait on anybody to concede for him to be in charge. He's still in charge. Still blessing us, still taking care of us. And he loves us. Still, bless you, bless you. Reggie T, D, thank you. Thank you for being you. For being you. Thank God for you. I want to step into this message. Before I do, there are a couple of housekeeping things that I need to take care of and get you. You ready? First of all, I want you to continue to be in prayer for the Cowan family. We had the home going for their, to the matriarch of the family. 90 years young and, and now she's immortal. That's the birthday that you get in heaven. Immortality. 
And Sister Odessa was called to be with the Lord and we had a homegoing service. And I want to thank all those from the 45th Street family who came out and supported the family during that time. It's, these are difficult circumstances and yet we're required to continue being brotherly and sisterly and doing all those things. <clears throat> People still need our service and I want to thank everyone who participated, particularly, particularly, I want to thank Theris and I want to thank Alvin for being on it and doing what they do. Thank you. I want to thank them. I'm just going to say it too now. When your family member, something happens in your family, you still want everything that the church has done for everybody else. You don't, you don't want to hear no excuses and and there has been over backwards to make sure that they had everything, made sure that they got every bit of the service that we could have. Even those graveside at Elmwood showed up and had everything. Even when the funeral director's microphone went out, Theris went to the car and got one on her own. That's what I'm talking about. Preparation. Preparation so that we could do what the family needed. Even though we got family members in our own church family who can't do the perform the roles they normally have, this family still wanted a repast. And so Theris made sure we got it catered so this family could still have a repast at their home. That's what it takes. And too often we just pass it by and I don't say anything, but she goes above and beyond taking care of things. And I want to give her Give her attaboys today. Thank God for her. And you don't know it because she does it in the background. She ain't jumping up and down saying I did it. So I want to thank her for making sure that they were taken care of. I also want to uh, tell you, starting next week, we're into our season of Advent. We're anticipating the coming Christ. It starts on Sunday, November 29th. And I'm excited. Because this year we're going to do something a little bit different. We've made sure that we can participate as a church family in this season of Advent. So not only will I start a sermon series next week, I'm going to show you the bumper on that. Um, the sermon series is entitled Rediscovering Christmas. All right, looking at it from a whole different um, perspective. Good news in troubling times. Now how appropriate is that? I want to make sure that you see where we're going with that. But I also want to tell you that we have an Advent reading plan. It's almost like a devotional for every day during the period from next Sunday until the 24th of December. We'll have a combined reading plan. You can get it digitally online. You can have it online or you can get a physical copy of it. I've got one right here in my hand. We can, we can get it to you. You can stop by the church and get it. We'll have it for you or you, we can we can, it's, it's going to get kind of costly mail and all of them, but we'll send them out to you if we can. Um, but we want to make sure you got it in your hand and you can participate in it. Rediscovering Christmas. Let's see that. Let's see that. Let me show you where we're going with this.
So we're looking forward to celebrating that um, throughout, throughout the month. We've got some other things that will be happening during that time. Of course, we know the second Sunday in December is the church's anniversary. Uh, we'll be celebrating our 106th anniversary on, on that Sunday. And so we're looking forward to that and look forward to some, uh, some great celebrations for uh, a, few of our, a few of our members will be being recognized that day with the Good and Faithful Servant Award. I haven't, we haven't given it out in the last three or four years, I think. It's, been, it's one that's not every year. Um, but this year, we're going to make sure we can celebrate with, I believe, three very deserving, very deserving uh, church members. They don't know who they are yet, and I don't know that there's any reason for us to make it a secret, but we're going to, uh, we're going to celebrate with them, and I won't tell you until I tell them, all right? <laughs> Once I contact them, then we'll come back and let you know who we're going to be celebrating. Um, the, in case you don't know, the Good and Faithful Servant Award is one that was created when I became the pastor. It's not one that we give out every year, and it's solely at the discretion of the pastor as to who gets it, which is why we don't do it each year. And so we thank God for um, those who will be receiving it this year. I also want to tell you that on the 3rd of December, we have tentatively scheduled, the 3rd of December, we have tentatively scheduled a budget, budget meeting, budget meeting for the church. And then on the 7th of December, the 7th of December, we have tentatively scheduled, and hope that this won't change, our annual meeting on the 7th of December, all right? That's not a Wednesday night. I think it's a Tuesday night, Monday or Tuesday night, but those are the dates. Might be Monday. Those are not, but we're, we're, we're in this COVID posture. We don't have to do everything on Wednesday. It's not like we're coming out to the church anymore. You, you know, you're at the house on Monday, you're at the house on Wednesday too. So, so, so we're going to make sure we get that taken care of. I mean, there's no need for us to follow that system. If we don't have to, if we don't have to. And besides, we've been in a real good sermon series, I mean, uh, Bible study series on Wednesday, and I really don't want to stop it. <laughs> so we're going to keep on working that Miracles in Mark Bible study series. If you haven't tuned in and gotten in with us, I, I urge you to do so. We've been learning, I think, we've been learning a lot from it. This is the last Sunday that we'll be talking about stewardship in the vein that I've been talking about it this year. Not in the traditional sense where we talk about money, <clears throat> even though we do talk about giving and what God has blessed us with. <clears throat> but we want to talk about it from a different perspective today. And let me say this as I step into this, uh, as I move into this, this, uh, this work. I want to say happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And I want to remind you that everyone is not situated to have something to be thankful for. Sometimes, sometimes, they're unaware of the smaller things in life for which they ought to express gratitude. And it's amazing that, that sometimes the best thing they can be thankful for is hearing from you. So make sure you contact people who love you, people who care about you. Please, please, please adhere to the directors from the health officials. This is not the year that they want us to get together with all our folk. This is not the year that we need to get together in crowds. I know it's America. You can do what you want to do. You got the freedom to be whatever you want to be and whatever you want to do. But if you want to care about other folk and be healthy this year and live to live again, say that again, live to live again, just this time, just this time, plan on having 
Uh, you can have turk and dressing next May. <laughs> All right? You can have that meal next May together. You can, in fact, you can do whatever you want to do together next year after a vaccine has come out and we can do, all do better. So let's, let's just make sure we can be here though to celebrate that because can I tell you, people are dying from COVID. People in our community are dying. People we know are dying from COVID. It's not a joke, it's not a hoax. It's not something uh, uh, that people are just putting out there to keep folk away, it's not, it's real. It's real. Young people are dying from COVID. Young people are. And so I'm asking you, please adhere to that. But you can still have a wonderfully blessed Thanksgiving. And if your Thanksgiving, if your Thanksgiving was only about the food, then you're missing something in there anyway. You're missing something in that whole celebration. So pray to the Lord about that. This, this, this Sunday, as I, as I move on and then get out of your way, uh, the message is coming from 2 Samuel. Chapter 24, it's easy. 2 Samuel 24 and 24. That's the verse. 24 and 24. 24 and 24 is the verse. <clears throat> you can go there in your Bible or whatever device you have. Now, that's the verse that I'm going to use as a foundation for this message, but the entire chapter, particularly starting at the 10th verse, underpins what I'm talking about. We're talking about David. Talking about David. David knew something about loving the Lord, Tyrone. He did. He did. He also knew something about messing up with the Lord. It's amazing that people, Reg, in my opinion, who mess up a lot, but who love the Lord, know how to ask for forgiveness. Yeah. When you, when, when you got that kind of spirit about you, I've had that position, you know, I mess up a lot. You learn how to say I'm sorry and mean it. And mean it because you understand your own imperfections and, and how you wouldn't want somebody to charge it to your heart. And so you learn how to go as quickly as you can to say, forgive me for what I've said or what I've done. And, 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 and that's important. And this scripture underpins David showing us an example of how he apologized to the Lord when he had messed up. And I love this scripture because it's not just an example of asking for forgiveness. Watch this now. It's also in tune with the stewardship month, an excellent example of how to give for real. Yeah, sacrificial giving. Now, underline that first word, sacrificial. Sacrificial. I can remember when I was growing up, I had a, uh, an older mentor and I discovered that you had to be careful what you said around him because he would, be, he would take you literally when you said it. So if he came up to you and he had on a tie and you said to him, man, I love that tie, that's awesome. You had to watch him because he would take the tie off and give it to you. And you know he likes the tie because he picked it out and is wearing it or somebody gave it to him. But he believed in that kind of giving. And so I, if somebody was not being fair and they saw a tie on him they liked, they just walk up to him and say, I like that tie. He was discerning enough to understand when to do it. But if you were in his circle, he would gift you that tie. And I said, my Lord. So after a while, I had to stop complimenting his ties. 
because of how he was in that space. Uh, I walk it back. No, sir. No, sir. I don't want it. I want you to wear it. I like it on you is what I would say. And, but there are some people who give like that all the time. Some people who understand the necessity of giving you something. My mama used to teach us that when you give something, don't give folks something you don't want no more. That, 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 that if, it's, if it's no good for you anymore, why are you giving it to them? Now watch me what I'm saying. I'm not saying you got a blender and you bought a new blender and there's nothing wrong with the old one. Surely somebody can benefit under those circumstances. I'm talking about the blender that won't do what blenders are supposed to do. And you're going to get rid of it, get rid of that and then give it to somebody else. Well, if it didn't work for you, it's not going to work for them either. And you can't pat yourself on the back because you gave it to somebody. And that's what folks do. They wear the coat all the way down. It's got holes everywhere, the lining coming out of it, everything. And yet, when the Goodwill box comes by, they, that's the first thing they drop in there because we got a new coat. How about this? How about poor people like new stuff too? People who've never had like new, they, they want stuff new sometimes. So how do we learn how to give like that? What is it about us? Well, first of all, in order to appreciate giving to someone, you've got to be content and stable, Karen, in what you have. You've you got to think it's part of your fellowship in order to celebrate with someone like that. Not only your fellowship, but it's also part of your service to other people. Missionary was in Costa Rica helping some folks who were out in the very rural areas. He had been living with them for a few days as he taught them about this Christianity life. And he said he had been paying close attention to them about how deliberate they were about every single thing. See, because they were so rural, everything they had mattered particularly to them because they couldn't replace the resources at all. And he said they came in for a meal one day. It's a very meager meal. They sat down in this very meager place that they live. The table had hardly anything on it except some bread and some soup. And he said, and the host was so very gracious to say, thank you so much for coming and honoring my house by being here. And then he started to pray, the host did. And he said, and the host was going on and on praying, thanking the Lord for this scrumptious bounty of, of a meal that he had. He said he prayed so long over the meal that he had to open his eyes and peek and see if he had missed something on the table that was sitting there. He said, but the man was so full of gratitude for what God had given that he couldn't even eat for being so thankful for what God had given him. It wasn't even the, about what was on the table. It was just about the fact that God had blessed him. And he realized it wasn't about the food. It was about his heart. And that's where sacrificial giving and receiving comes from. It's a heart relationship. It matters how you think about it. So in this passage of scripture, let me get here and get you out of here. In this passage of scripture in 2 Samuel, the 24th verse reads this way, And the king said unto Arana, Nay, 
but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the, off, and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Yeah. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord, my God, of that which doth cost me nothing. Let's see if I can unpack this just a little bit for you. Why is this an example of sacrificial giving to the Lord? Maybe some historical foundation would be helpful for you. David is talking to Arana. Arana is a farmer who owns a field. In that field, there is a threshing table. And that threshing table is where you would take your wheat crop and you would separate the wheat from the chaff. The way they designed threshing tables was to build them on a hill. And the reason they built them on a hill, Deacon Hall, is so the wind could come and catch. And that's where you would separate wheat from chaff. As the wind catches it, it would help and aid in the separation process. But why are we here? Why is David even talking to Arama about purchasing his threshing floor? And why is this threshing floor so important? I'm glad you asked that question. David is here because David messed up. Oh yeah, David messed up. If you cycle all the way back to the beginning of Samuel, or 2 Samuel chapter 10, um, chapter, 20, chapter 24, at the beginning, what you'll find is this. David was full of himself. Oh, it doesn't say it in scripture explicitly, but his actions, once you read them, tell you that he had kind of gotten a big head. He had been victorious in a lot of battles. His army had gotten big. The city had gotten big. And he decided that he was going to do something that you and I just participated here in the United States. He decided he was going to have a census. Oh, yeah. The only problem is God had forbidden him to have a census. And David did it anyway. He had the captains of his army. Go out there and see how many soldiers us got. Go out there and see how big our armies are. We want to know how many folk we got out there. Count them all and bring it back to me. And even though the soldiers, the captains of the armies protested and said, no, don't do it. Even though the prophets came and told him, no, uh, King David, the Bible says the king's voice prevailed, I mean, prevailed over what they said. And so he ended up counting them. Comes out that, that he had about 800,000 men. Oh, yeah. Oh, things had gotten a whole lot bigger, whole lot better since he had been in the military. Why is this a problem? Well, it's a problem because God didn't want David to think that it was the size of his army that was giving him the victory. God wanted David to stay humble and know it doesn't matter if you come in there with 20 men. Once you got me behind you, I'm going to take care of you. But David wanted to take care of his own press. Yeah, he wanted to say, yeah, the Lord has been blessing us, but, but I got all these folk and it don't matter. As big as we are, nobody let them mess with Israel. And so come in verse 10. 
Come in verse 10, and that's when David came to himself. <laughs> that's what it says. Let me read it for you. It says, and David's heart smote him, beat him up, beat him up. He finally came to himself and realized that what I've done is against what the Lord wanted me to do. This was after Joab came and told him he had so many folk. And he said, he said, and David's heart smote him. After that, he numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, watch this now. I told you, he was a man after God's own heart. He said, I have sinned greatly in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, one of them good Bible words, beseech mean beg. I'm begging you, Lord. Take away this iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. Yeah, David knew how to mess up because he was impetuous, yeah. creative. But he also knew how to fess up once he messed up. And that's where he is right now. And so the Lord tells him that he's right. He has messed up. And I'm going to give you three ways to get out of it. Now, now, if you go back and read this, what you'll find is that God was using a prophet as the middleman between David and this conversation. And so David is telling, is telling Gad, who's the prophet, uh, tell the Lord this, tell the Lord that. So I don't want you to be confused in this when you're reading. But what you'll find is that God gave David three ways to get out of the problem he had caused for himself. None of them good. Not, none of them were good. No, no, no. He gave him three ways, and he said, in those three ways, you can either choose to allow uh, pestilence to come into your land. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. God wasn't going to get Now, this, this ain't the kind of punishment you would choose. This is not where you go pick your own switch off the tree. <laughs> not one of them situations, you know. No, no, no. This is when mama go pick the switch off the tree. Uh, you learn after a while, you better come in with a nice medium-sized stick. Because if you come in there with that little twig, that's not going to help you out. So you can either have seven years of famine. That's one. Seven years of famine. Uh, you can have three months where your enemies can run amok among you. Three years where your enemies run amok about you. Or you can have pestilence in three days. No, 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 no. Karen is helping me up here. All right, or you can, <laughs> you can have three days where your enemies run a monk about you. I'm sorry, three months where your enemies run a monk about a monk run amongst you and tear you up. Or, or you can be three days where there's pestilence in the land. David had the bright idea to say, whatever you do, Lord, I want it to come from you and not from man. Watch this now, because I know you have grace among you. And I don't know that folk will let me go when they get ready to and when I get ready for them to. And that's exactly what happened. So David chose that God would punish him and not his enemies punishing him. And the punishment he chose was that he'd have three days of pestilence. Y'all don't want to hear this. God means what he says. And so he gave him the punishment, three days of pestilence. And destiny, when he put pestilence in the land for three days, 70,000 men died. It's almost like what we're seeing right now. 70,000 people died in that period of time. 
because God was serious about this punishment. And when those 70,000 people died in those three days, David realized how wrong he had truly been because those 70,000 people died red because of what David did. Because of his foolishness, because of his arrogance, because of his hard-headedness, 70,000 people died. Because he wouldn't take care and heed the word of the prophet, 70,000 people had to die. And he decided that he was going to have to, you got to hear me now, he was going to have to make a memorial to the time when he was, in fact, so out of line. So now we get to verse 24 where he is searching for a place to build a memorial, and he goes to Arana, who's on the hillside at his farm, and that's when he starts talking to him about buying his threshing floor. And Arana, when he sees the, the king and his entourage coming to him, he says, my lord, whatever you want, you can have. David said, I came so I can offer sacrifice to the Lord. He said, whatever you want is yours. Take it. He said, and I need to get a bull from you so I can offer sacrifice. He said, pick the one you want. It's yours. I'm giving it to you. And that's when verse 24 starts ringing in your ears. And David says, I can't give the Lord a sacrifice on land that costs me nothing. In other words, the gift wouldn't be from me, David. It would be from you, Arama. And because of that, now how many of y'all, you decide you want to give somebody something real special, but you go out and you get the item on the hookup? How many of y'all think that's a sacrificial gift for you? You decide you're going to get your baby boy a brand new computer. And you see Nene down there on the block at the corner with two boxes with two computers in it. And he tells you, you ain't got to go to Best Buy, just stay right here and I'm the Best Buy you gonna find. And you stop at Nene and you give Nene $50 and Nene ain't gonna be able to give you no receipt. Cause the box you get from Nene got Best Buy on it already. And you take that home to your baby. And you feel good about giving that to them. Even though it really didn't cost you anything. You want them to do well and exceed and achieve and become a superstar academically. And you started it out on a flaky foundation like that by buying them a hot computer. And you feel all right about that. Now, I'm not asking you to look in the mirror and point. I just want you to think and say, hmm. Would I do that? Is it possible that I would do that for my children? The hookup is not always the right thing for you to do. And I'm not going to say ever, because there are some circumstances where I think we might argue on that one. But can I tell you, a thankful heart will not come to God bearing gifts which cost you nothing. All right? If it's of no value to you, then it won't be received or be blessed of God. That's true of people. If you start giving folk hand-me-downs and hand-me-overs and stuff I'd rather not have, how then do you treat your relationship with the Lord? All right? And the Lord started us off by showing us how he gives. He taught us about atonement. Atonement simply the satisfaction or reparation of a wrong or injury. David was trying to make atonement 
for what he had done to the Lord. He was trying to show him that I'm sorry, I'm sincerely sorry. And so in order to do that, he was going to make a sacrificial gift to the Lord. Sacrifice. That's an act of offering to a deity something precious. Especially the killing of a victim. Watch this. A victim on an altar. Innocence validates the sacrifice. Can I give you an example? David wanted to build the temple for the Lord. This is going to have more relevance. God said, no, you have too much blood on your hand. You're a man of war, as is evidenced by this incident we're talking about right now. Too many people have died in and around you. You can't build my temple. But David said, but Lord, I love you. I got to express my love some kind of way. And so David turns around and instead of being able to actually construct the temple, what he does is collect all the resources for the temple. And the Bible says David gave sacrificially to the Lord. In fact, he gave so much in his devotion to the building of the temple to the Lord. He gave of his own personal treasures to the Lord. And in fact, the Bible says that he gave over 75 pounds of gold to build the temple so that the walls of the temple could be laid in gold. David gave sacrificially to it later. Save you the math on that. If you calculate the amount of gold According to some math, uh, uh, math experts, the amount of gold that David gave to build the temple was over $26 billion worth of gold. Wow. $26 billion to build the temple that his son Solomon would later come along and build. He amassed that much go everything in the temple because that's how much David loved God I want every space in it to be pure gold for the Lord because he deserves no less this is how much I love him and the Bible says that what David gave was over and above what he had already amassed before he got permission to do it sacrifice is what David did. But can I tell you this? Watch this now. In this season of giving, sacrifice is not limited to rich folk. That's why Jesus told the parable of the woman with two mites. Sacrifice comes from the heart, not from the pocketbook. The two mites were as much as the talents of gold that David gave. I want to tell you this. First of all, notice Christ pointed out three things in the, in the gift that the woman who came into the temple and put two mites in the basket, two mites in the collection. He said, first of all, when, when, when you give sacrificially, the world sees your gift as useless. Watch this now. The world sees your gift as useless. What can you do with two mites? And yet Christ would see her gift as exponentially greater than anything anybody else could put in. Why? Because she gave of her heart and she gave sacrificially. The next thing is the, 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 the gifts she gave 
is an indication of love. When you give sacrificially, it denotes how much you love somebody. And the last thing about that, that widows might, the reason it was sacrificial is because it's also a mark of faith. All right. God would have provided for the collection, even if that woman had not put her two mites in. And yet she did not feel she could let the basket pass by without giving. That's a mark of sacrifice. You can sit back and you say other folks going to do it. But she felt like she had to participate in it. Can I tell you this? The reason it was a sacrifice is she had two coins. She could have given one. And yet she gave all she had because she loved the Lord that much. So what are the examples we learn from David who would not take the threshing floor from a runner? What are the examples we learn from him that make this such that we know it's sacrificial and you and I have to learn how to give sacrificially too. And when something costs us nothing, it probably means nothing to the Lord. Yeah, yeah. It might be brand sparkly new, but it means nothing because you didn't give it with the right attitude. Can I let you in on a secret? There's nothing on earth God needs from us. What he wants from us is us. He wants our heart. And when we start turning what he's blessed us with into objects that can benefit his kingdom building, then God finds favor in that and he blesses us. When he takes that car that you've been wanting for so long and instead of you just looking cute in it, you turn it into a jitney, then God is being blessed because you're helping those who are less fortunate. The truth of the matter is the city of Birmingham does not have a transportation problem. We say we have a public transportation problem because we don't have enough bus service, but there's no reason people in Birmingham shouldn't be able to get where they want to go because there's too many cars on the street. God has put too many cars in too many churches with too many people who have the ability to take folk places, and yet we still say we got a transportation problem. That's a matter of perspective. We have a remedy for that problem. Even if we didn't go to our personal cars, we got enough buses and vans at churches that ought to be able to fill in the gaps for, for any public transportation issue we have. Folk ought to be able to get to work, if nothing else, if we were to put our heads together collectively. So what are the lessons that we learn from David and how he gives? And let me tell you how important this threshing floor is. Because some, some of you may not understand how one deed today can make all the difference tomorrow. All right? First of all, this floor that David buys, you read, you continue to study in Scripture, will be actually become the site that Solomon builds the temple that his dad is saving the money for. That's what this floor means. When it don't cost me nothing, then it don't mean nothing to nobody. And so he allows this site to become the site of the actual temple because it's on the side of the mountain and everybody can see it when they come into the city. High and lifted up, shining so the world can see it. And it's full of gold. That's what they say. It's shining like the crystal when you come in there because it's full of gold. Not only that, 
Later, many years later, many hundreds of years later, this same series of hills that the temple was built on will be the same, same place that another sacrifice is offered on. In fact, one of the series of hills is called Golgotha. And in fact, you'll see the sacrifice that was made for my salvation and your salvation on this very hill. That's why David said, I can't give the Lord something. That doesn't cost me, no, that cost me nothing. Giving makes a difference in how you give. It's so very, very important. David, in giving us examples, shows us that we ought to take of our first fruit, of the first, of the best that we have. Not the peaches that fall on the ground and get bruised, but the ones I can reach at the top that keep getting sun-kissed. The ones that have the best juice, the ones that have ripened so well, the ones I would take the market and get the best price from, those are the ones that I want to take and give to the Lord. That's why they say when you tithe, that's why the Bible gives us instruction. If you're going to give the Lord, you ought to take it when you first get your check. Before you pay the man, before you pay yourself, you ought to give back to the Lord because he gave it all to you. Your first fruit, in case you don't understand that. Not only that, a gift which costs nothing reveals a lack of faith in Christ. In other words, that's why I said you got to be content in yourself. Yeah, if you think that you are making it happen, if you think that you are producing it all, then you don't have the contentment that I talked about in this sermon last week. If you're content that God is going to take care of you and that he will provide, then you understand that your faith means that he'll, he'll give you whatever you need. I'll give this because he's always going to take care of me. It's his job to provide for me. I'm not making it happen. You know, Reg, we got that thing about us. Men, well, we always got to get out there and hit it. We got to hit a lick. We got to always have them dollars coming in and take care of our family. But in faith, we got to know it ain't us anyway. We're not making it happen. God puts us in situations where income can flow to us, but the income is flowing to us from him. He's making that happen, and yet we'll kill ourselves. We'll go too many places doing too many things. I'm guilty trying to make that income come in when it's the Lord who's taking care of us anyway. And so a gift that really costs nothing reveals a lack of faith in Christ. Not only that, a gift that costs nothing reveals a lack of love for Christ. How can I, how can I have faith in him if I don't love him? How? How can that be? I got to love him. True love considers no labor. Remember Jacob? Jacob worked seven years, then he turned around and worked seven more. Why? Because he truly loved Rachel. And what did he say about those 14 years, really 21, those 14 years that he loved, that he was trying to work for Rachel? He said they seemed as days. 14 years. That's true love. Anybody ever been in true love? Know how it is when you're with somebody, you've been with them for a year and because you love them so much, you can't even count the days. Long as we've been together, it just feel like it's been all right. You turn around and it's been 10 years and you say to yourself, I don't know where it's been. Where did it go? Why? Because I love somebody that much. It's just day after day folds into one another. We just together. Before long, you know you got decade after decade. Why? Is it good? Because I love them. It's just like that with the Lord. Go back and try to count all the time you spent with him. If you love him, you can't even count the days. It just blends into one another. But when you're doing something that's drudgery, oh, you know, like when you feel like you're in prison, you're marking off the days. 
You mocking, scratching it on the wall, on the calendar, saying, here come another day. You can't do that when you're in love. Time acts differently, I think, when you're in love. Not only that, a gift which costs me nothing reveals a lack of regard for who God is. David didn't have any problem knowing who God was. He didn't. He understood the majesty of God. He understood the glory of God. He also understood the grace of God. He knew that God had over and over again given him opportunities. And when David had messed up, when he had been arrogant. Now, we're talking about David. We're talking about David who came out the box killing Goliath. We're talking about David who came out the box being a man of war, who was winning war after war after war, battle after battle after battle. This man who had amassed an army that had almost a million people in it. This David knew how it was to feel like a, a little man next to God. But he also knew that God made him feel like the king he was because he loved him just that much. He knew how to put God in his proper perspective because he had his own life in his proper perspective. He said, I am the king, but I'm nothing. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm nothing. I sinned against thee and thee only. I'm nothing. And yet you love me. And because of that, I'm everything. You ought to know who you are in, in the Lord. And David knew who he was. Sacrificial giving is the imitation of God because God gives to us sacrificially. How do I know that? How do I know that? Because Christ died for us. That's the definition of sacrificial giving. And so understand this. When Christ died for us, he died for us because God required it. That was the example being set for us. While Christ was satisfied in doing it, you need to know that it was because his father was such a gracious God and wanted us to know how that grace is. And so because of that, we know how giving is supposed to be. But I want to know this. Do you put sacrificial giving in the same concept when it's not involving money, when it's involving the other aspects of your life? How about your time that you spend with the Lord? Do you do, you do that sacrificially? Or does God always get the leftovers or the dredges of your life? Do you make sure you put something else down you want to do so that you can spend time with the Lord? Are you willing to do that? Something that you think lifts you up, puffs you up. Are you willing to sacrifice that so you can spend some time for the Lord? I've seen just a few people who are willing to do that, who go the extra mile in working for the Lord, who go the extra mile in doing for the Lord, who seem to always be up, never down, always working, always the same folk, doing what they do for the Lord. You can't tell me they're not giving sacrificially. And that's why, the God, that's why God always shows favor on them. How about when it comes to supporting your fellow man? Do you give sacrificially for them? I'm not talking about in terms of money. I'm talking about in terms of your patience. How about that? Are you patient enough with people who have different opinions, with people who don't live the same way you do, with people who don't have the same access you have? Are you patient enough with them? Are you patient enough with people who don't have the same upbringing? Do you give sacrificially to them? Because sacrificial giving doesn't just deal with money. Can I tell you this? Mark, the gospel according to St. Mark writes this. And when he was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he lay at table, there came a woman having an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly. 
And having broken the alabaster flask, she poured it out upon his head. There's a reason why this story is told in Mark, because it's another example of sacrificial giving. This woman took all she had. She took the most expensive thing she had, the most expensive thing, something she could have sold for vast sums of money, made her life more comfortable. She took it and she gave it to the Lord. And she did it just so she could anoint him and express her love for him. Let me ask you this. When was the last time your life was an anointing for God? When was the last time you took of your best so that you could let him know how much you love him? That's sacrificial giving. He knows what it is because he gave himself for us. He loves us. He loved us enough to give his whole life. Let that sink in. His whole life, he lived for us. And when he reached a point that a requirement was there for him to die for us, he gave his whole life to die for us. Really the example that David set by buying that threshing floor was simply echoed when Jesus Christ gave his whole life. David said, I won't give the Lord something that costs me nothing. And Jesus is saying to us, giving you to the Lord costs me everything. But I'm sure he did it and would do it again because he loves us that much. Have you accepted him and the love he's shown you? Today is the day for you to realize that he did it just for you that he loves you. The things that we do might make us feel real good. We stroke checks and we, we give on our credit cards and we don't even really see the transactions taking place. But have you even paused to think, when was the last time I truly gave something sacrificially? Gave till it hurt. He's still waiting, waiting on us to give like that. And I guarantee you he'll find favor in it and he loves us. God bless you today. This is a week of being thankful. I'm thankful we had this time together. I'm thankful the Lord allows me to be in service like this to you. And it's my prayer that we'll continue to be able to come together, circumstances like this, until the Lord says differently. 